0: Chapter Ten of the Red Room by August Strindberg, translated by Ellie Schlesner, recording by William Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: The Newspaper Syndicate, Gray Bonnet. For forty years, Sweden had worked for the right which every man obtains when he comes of age. Pamphlets have been written, newspapers founded, stones thrown suppers eaten and speeches made meetings have been held petitions have been presented the railways have been used hands have been pressed volunteer regiments have been formed and so in the end with a great deal of noise the desired object had been attained enthusiasm was great and justifiable the old birchwood tables at the opera restaurant were transformed into political tribunes the fumes of the reform punch attracted many a politician who later on became a great screamer. The smell of reform cigars excited many an ambitious dream which was never realised. The old dust was washed off with reform soap. It was generally believed that everything would be right now, and after the tremendous uproar the country lay down and fell asleep, confidently awaiting the brilliant results which were to be the outcome of all this fuss it slept for a few years and when it awoke it was faced by a reality which suggested a miscalculation there were murmurs here and there the statesmen who had recently been lauded to the skies were now criticized there were even among the students some who discovered that the whole movement had originated in a country which stood in a very close relationship to the promoter of the bill and that the original could be found in a well-known handbook. But enough of it. Characteristic of these days was a certain embarrassment which soon took the form of universal discontent, or, as it was called, opposition. But it was a new kind of opposition. It was not, as is generally the case, directed against the government, but against Parliament. It was a conservative opposition, including liberals as well as conservatives, young men as well as old there was much misery in the country now it happened that the newspaper syndicate gray bonnet born and grown up under liberal auspices fell asleep when it was called upon to defend unpopular views if one may speak of the views of a syndicate the directors proposed at the general meeting that certain opinions should be changed as they had the effect of decreasing the number of subscribers necessary to the continuance of the enterprise the general meeting agreed to the proposition and the gray bonnet became a conservative paper but there was a but although it must be confessed that it did not greatly embarrass the syndicate it was necessary to have a new chief editor to save the syndicate from ridicule that no change need be made so far as the invisible editorial staff was concerned went without saying the chief editor a man of honour tendered his resignation the editorial management which had long been abused on account of its red colour accepted it with pleasure hoping thereby without further trouble to take rank as a better class paper there only remained a necessity of finding a new chief editor in accordance with the new programme of the syndicate he would have to possess the following qualifications he must be known as a perfectly trustworthy citizen must belong to the official class, must possess a title, usurped or won, which could be elaborated if necessity arose. In addition to this, he must be of good appearance, so that one could show him off at festivals and on other public occasions. He must be dependent, a little stupid, because true stupidity always goes hand in hand with conservative leanings. He must be endowed with a certain amount of shrewdness which would enable him to know intuitively the wishes of his chiefs, and never let him forget that public and private welfare are, rightfully understood, one and the same thing. At the same time he must not be too young, because an older man is more easily managed, and finally he must be married, for the syndicate, which consisted of businessmen, knew perfectly well that married slaves are more amenable than unmarried ones. The individual was discovered and he was to a high degree endowed with all the characteristics enumerated he was a strikingly handsome man with a very fine figure and a long wavy beard hiding all the weak points of his face which otherwise would have given him away his large full deceitful eyes caught the casual observer and inspired his confidence which was then unscrupulously abused his somewhat veiled voice always speaking words of love of peace of honor and above all patriotism beguiled many a misguided listener and brought him to the punch table where the excellent man spent his evenings preaching straightforwardness and love of the mother country the influence which this man of honor exerted on his evil environment was marvelous it could not be seen but it could be heard The whole pack which for years had been let loose on everything time-honoured and venerable which had not even let alone the higher things was now restrained and full of love not only for its old friends was now and not merely in its heart moral and straightforward they carried out in every detail the program drawn up by the new editor on his accession the cardinal points of which expressed in a few words were to persecute all good ideas if they were new to fight for and uphold all bad ones if they were old, to grovel before those in power, to extol all those on whom fortune was smiling, to push down all those who strove to rise, to adore success and abuse misfortune. Freely translated, the program read, To acknowledge and cheer only detested and admittedly good, to work against the mania of innovation, and to persecute severely, but justly, Everybody who was trying to get on by dishonest means, for honest work only, should be crowned with success. The secret of the last clause, which the editorial staff had principally at heart, was not difficult to discover. The staff consisted entirely of people whose hopes had been disappointed in one way or another, in most cases by their own fault, through drinking and recklessness. Some of them were college geniuses, who in the past had enjoyed a great reputation as singers speakers, poets, or wits, and had then justly, or, according to them, unjustly, been forgotten. During a number of years it had been their business to praise and promote, frequently against their own inclination, everything that was new, all the enterprises started by reformers. It was, therefore, not strange that now they seized the opportunity to attack, under the most honorable pretext, everything new, good, or bad." The chief editor in particular was great in tracking humbug and dishonesty. Whenever a delegate opposed a bill which tended to injure the interests of the country for the sake of the party, he was immediately taken to task and called a humbug, trying to be original, longing for a ministerial dress coat. He did not say portfolio, for he always thought of clothes first. Politics, however, was not his strong, or rather his weak point, but literature, In days long past, on the occasion of the Old Norse Festival at Uppsala, he had proposed a toast in a verse on woman, and thereby furnished an important contribution to the literature of the world. It was printed in as many provincial papers as the author considered necessary for his immortality. This had made him a poet, and when he had taken his degrees, he bought a second-class ticket to Stockholm in order to make his debut in the world and receive his due. Unfortunately, the Stockholmers do not read provincial papers. The young man was unknown, and his talent was not appreciated. As he was a shrewd man, his small brain had never been exuberantly imaginative. He concealed his wound and allowed it to become the secret of his life. The bitterness engendered by the fact that his honest work, as he called it, remained unrewarded, specially qualified him for the post of a literary censor. But he did not write himself. His position did not allow him to indulge in efforts of his own, and he preferred leaving it to the reviewer, who criticized everybody's work justly and with inflexible severity. The reviewer had written poetry for the last sixteen years under a pseudonym. Nobody had ever read his verses, and nobody had taken the trouble to discover the author's real name. But every Christmas his verses were exhumed and praised in the grey bonnet. By a third party of course who signed his articles so that the public should not suspect that the author had written it himself it was taken for granted that the author was known to the public in the seventeenth year the author considered it advisable to put his name to a new book a new edition of an old one as misfortune would have it the red cap the whole staff of which was composed of young people who had never heard the real name treated the author as a beginner and expressed astonishment not only that a young writer should put his name to his first book but also that a young man's book could be so monotonous and old-fashioned this was a hard blow the old synonymous fell ill with fever but recovered after having been brilliantly rehabilitated by the gray bonnet the latter went for the whole reading public in a lump charging it with being immoral and dishonest unable to appreciate an honest sound and moral book which could safely be put in the hands of a child a comic paper made fun of the last point so that the pseudonymous had a relapse and on his second recovery vowed annihilation to all native literature which might appear in the future it did however not apply to quite all native literature for a shrewd observer would have noticed that the gray bonnet frequently praised bad books true it was often done lamely and in terms which could be read in two ways the same shrewd observer could have noticed that the miserable stuff in question was always published by the same firm but this did not necessarily imply that the reviewer was influenced by extraneous circumstances such as little lunches for instance he and the whole editorial staff were upright men who would surely not have dared to judge others with so much severity if they themselves had not been men of irreproachable character. Another important member of the staff was the dramatic critic. He had received his education and qualified at a recruiting bureau in ex Chipping, had fallen in love with a star who was only a star in ex Chipping. As he was not sufficiently enlightened to differentiate between a private opinion and a universal verdict, it happened to him when he was for the first time let loose in the columns of the grey bonnet that he slated the greatest actress in sweden and maintained that she copied miss hyphen, hyphen whatever her name was that it was done very clumsily goes without saying and also that it happened before the grey bonnet was veered round all this made his name detested and despised but still he had a name and that compensated him for the indignation he excited one of his cardinal points although not at once appreciated, was his deafness. For years went by before it was discovered, and even then nobody could tell whether or no it had any connection with a certain encounter caused by one of his notices in the foyer of the opera house, one evening after the lights had been turned down. After this encounter he tested the strength of his arm only on a quite young people, and anybody familiar with the circumstances could tell by his critique when he had had an accident in the wings." for the conceited provincial had read somewhere the unreliable statement that stockholm was another paris and had believed it the art critic was an old academician who had never held a brush in his hand but as a member of the brilliant artist club minerva a fact which enabled him to describe works of art in the columns of his paper before they were finished thereby saving the reader the trouble of forming an opinion of his own he was invariably kind to his acquaintances and in criticising an exhibition never forgot to mention every single one of them his practice of many years standing of saying something pretty about everybody and how would he have dared to do otherwise made it child's play to him to mention twenty names in half a column in reading his reviews one could not help thinking of the popular game pictures and devices but the young artists he always conscientiously forgot so that the public which for ten years had heard none but the old names began to despair of the future of art one exception however he had made and made quite recently in an unpropitious hour and in consequence of this exception there was great excitement one morning in the editorial office of the gray bonnet what occurred was this sellen the reader may remember this insignificant name mentioned on a former and not a particularly important occasion had arrived with his picture at the exhibition at the very last moment when it had been hung in the worst possible place for the artist was neither a member of the academy nor did he possess the royal medal the professor of charles ninth arrived he had been given this nickname because he never painted anything but scenes from the life of charles the the reason again for this was that a long time ago he had bought at an auction a wine glass a tablecloth a chair and a parchment from the period of charles the ninth these objects he had painted for twenty years sometimes with and sometimes without the king but he was a professor now and a knight of many orders and so there was no help for it he was the Academician when his eye fell on the silent man of the opposition and his picture here again sir he put up his pince-nez, and this then is the new style Hmm. let me tell you sir believe the word of an old man take that picture away take it away it makes me sick to look at it you do yourself the greatest service if you take it away what do you say old fellow the old fellow said that the exhibition of such a picture was an impertinence and that if the gentleman would take his kindly meant advice he would change his profession and become a signboard painter Sowen replied mildly but shrewdly that there were so many able people in that profession that he had chosen an artistic career where success could be obtained far more easily as had been proved the professor was furious at his insolence he turned his back on the contrite Sowen with a threat which the academian translated into a promise the enlightened committee of purchases had met behind closed doors when the doors were open again six pictures have been bought for the money subscribed by the public for the purpose of encouraging native artists the excerpt from the minutes which found its way into the columns of the newspapers was worded as follows the art union yesterday bought the following pictures number one water with oxen landscape by the wholesale merchant k two gustavus adolphus at the fire of magdeburg Historical painting by the linen draper L. Three, a child blowing its nose, genre picture by Lieutenant M. Four, S.S. Boer in the harbor, marine picture by the shipbroker N. Five, Sylvan scene with women, landscape by the royal secretary O. Six chicken with mushrooms still life by the actor p these works of art which cost a thousand pounds each on an average were afterwards praised in the gray bonnet in two three-quarter columns at fifteen crowns each that was nothing extraordinary but the critic partly in order to fill up the space and partly in order to seize the right moment for suppressing a growing evil attacked the bad custom which was beginning to creep in he referred to the fact that young, unknown adventurers who had run away from the academy without study were trying to pervert the sound judgment of the public by a mere running after effect. And then Sullen was taken by the ears and flogged, so that even his enemies found that his treatment was unfair, and that means a great deal. Not only was he denied every trace of talent, and his art called humbug, even his private circumstances were dragged before the public. The article hinted at cheap restaurants where he was obliged to dine at the shabby clothes he was forced to wear at his loose morals his idleness it concluded by prophesizing in the name of religion and morality that he would end his days in a public institution unless he mended his ways while there was yet time it was a disgraceful act committed in indifference and selfishness and it was little less than a miracle that a soul was not lost on the night of the publication of that particular number of the grey bonnet twenty-four hours later the incorruptible appeared it reflected on the way in which public moneys were administered by a certain clique and mentioned the fact that at the last purchase of pictures not a single one had been bought which had been painted by an artist but that the perpetrators had been officials and tradesmen impudent enough to compete with the artist although the latter had no other market. It went on to say that these pirates lowered the standard and demoralized the artist, whose sole endeavor would have been to paint as badly as they did if they did not want to starve. Then Sellens' name was mentioned. His picture was the first soulfully conceived work within the last ten years, for ten years' art had been a mere affair of colors and brushes. Sellens' picture was an honest piece of work, full of inspiration and devotion, and entirely original, a picture which could only have been produced by an artist who had met the spirit of nature face to face. The critic enjoined a young artist to fight against the ancients, whom he had already left a long way behind, and exhorted him to have faith and hope, because he had a mission to fulfill, etc. The Grey Bonnet, foam with rage. "'You'll see that the fellow will have success,' Exclaimed the chief editor, "Why the devil did we slate him quite so much? Supposing he became a success, now we should cover ourselves with ridicule." The academician vowed that he should not have any success. Went home with a troubled heart, referred to his books, and wrote an essay in which he proved that Sellin's art was a humbug, and that the incorruptible had been corrupted. The gray bonnet drew a breath of relief, but immediately afterwards it received a fresh blow. On the following day, the morning papers announced the fact that His Majesty had bought Sellens' masterly landscape, which for days had drawn a large public to the exhibition. End quote. The Grey Bonnet received the full fury of the gale. It was tossed hither and thither and fluttered like a rag on a pole. Should they veer around or steer ahead? Both paper and critic were involved. The chief editor decided, by order of the managing director, "'to sacrifice the critic and save the paper. "'But how was it to be done? "'In their extremity they remembered Struve. "'He was a man completely at home in the maze of publicity. "'He was sent for. "'The situation was clear to him in a moment, "'and he promised that the very few days "'the barge should be able to tack. "'To understand Struve's scheme, "'it is necessary to know the most important data of his biography. "'He was a born student.' driven to journalism by sheer poverty. He started his career as editor of the socialist People's Flag. Next he belonged to the conservative Peasant's Scourge. But when the latter removed to the provinces with inventory, printing plant and editor, the name was changed into Peasant's Friend, and its politics changed accordingly. Struve was sold to the Red Cap, where his knowledge of all the conservative tricks stood him in good stead. In the same way, his greatest merit in the eyes of the Gray Bonnet was his knowledge of all the secrets of their deadly foe, the Red Cap, and his readiness to abuse his knowledge of them. Struve began the work of whitewashing by starting a correspondence in the People's Flag. A few lines of this, mentioning the rush of visitors to the exhibition, were reprinted in the Gray Bonnet. Next there appeared in the Gray Bonnet an attack on the Academian. This attack was followed by a few reassuring words sign the ed which read as follows quote, "although we never shared the opinion of our art critic with regard to mr solon's justly praised landscape yet we cannot altogether agree with our judgment of our respected correspondent but as on principle we open our columns to all opinions we unhesitatingly printed the above article" end quote. the ice was broken struve who had the reputation of having written on every subject except cufic coins now wrote a brilliant critique of sellen's picture and signed it very characteristically dixie the gray bonnet was saved and so of course was sellen but the latter was of minor importance End of chapter ten